Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. This week, Plaid Cymru will hold its annual conference in Llandidno. It has been a very interesting year for the party. Despite coming third in last May's Senate election, they have seen many of their manifesto pledges become Welsh government policy through their cooperation agreement with Welsh Labour. As part of that cooperation agreement, two Plaid Cymru MSs have become designated members. Members who, alongside Welsh ministers, will jointly agree matters within scope of the agreement. And one of those designated members, Kevin Campbell, is here with us today. Hello, Kevin. Hello there. Uh, thank you for very very much for coming on and speaking with us. Um, before we get into the cooperation agreement, and again with the obvious caveat that it's a very fast-moving political situation at the moment, what has been your assessment of the recent chaos at Westminster? Um, it, it's, it's been absolutely dreadful, and I can't remember in my time of being interested in politics that we've seen such chaos in Westminster. And really, it, it begs the obvious question about how relevant Westminster is to the needs of Wales, because clearly, you know, the needs of the, the most vulnerable, low-income families in our communities are being completely disregarded. And, you know, I, I can't understand why more people are now openly questioning, you know, what is Westminster doing for Wales? And surely we can do better than this by having, you know, the fiscal levers in Wales that we can make our own decisions on, you know, tax and national insurance and benefits uh, and so on um, that targets those people who actually need the support more than anyone else. Clearly, when you prioritise bankers and high-level earners, then clearly their priorities are so different to those in Wales. Where do you think we go from here, Kevin? Do you think it is time for a general election? Clearly, people have become so disillusioned with the Tory government that, that clearly we need to change. What the Tory government have done, of course, is to destroy within a matter of weeks their reputation of being you know, prudent guardians of the public purse. And I, I, I fail to see how they will ever recover from that. So, so we need a conversation uh, about whether we need another general election, but but certainly this chaos can't carry on uh, much longer. Well, I mean, with the polling that's coming out today, some showing that Labour is as much as 36 points ahead in the polls, it feels that if there was a general election, it's likely that Labour would do quite well and probably form the next government. But do you think that a Labour government in Westminster may harm Plaid Cymru's aims? You know, would a Labour government in Westminster make people feel as though independence was no longer necessary or do you think it would maybe provide Plaid with an opportunity to show people that only through independence will they be able to find the solutions that they need? Well clearly whenever a, um, a general election comes we need to get rid of the Tory government but my question then is whether an incoming Labour government which would have to look at the needs of the southeast of England because all public policies over the last you know, number of generations uh, have been geared towards the economic needs of the southeast of England, particularly the city and, and London. I mean, all of the parts of the United Kingdom have become subordinate to the, to the needs of southeast England. And I honestly can't see an incoming Labour government doing anything different other than tinkering uh, around the edges. Uh, and still, 
you know, Wales will remain a poor country as we've been for the best part of 100 years. And what people have to remember is during all of that time, a span of 100 years, the Tories have been in government for over 70 years of those 100 years without a mandate from Wales to, to govern. We, we've never voted a Tory government in Wales. You know, when you look at the, the bigger picture, ultimately, Westminster doesn't work for Wales. And, and we need to have more of those powers that are at the moment in, in Westminster transferred to uh, to Cardiff and to the Senate. You don't share the optimism then of Mark Drake, but he basically says that all of Wales's current ills will be solved by a Labour government in Westminster. Well, I mean, you know, I admire his optimism. And, and of course, as the leader of Labour in Wales, he's, he's got to say that. But what we have to remember as well is that, you know, Labour will be inheriting an almighty you know, financial mess, which is going to take a long, long time. You know, the Tories have, have led us to, to this dark hole for such a long time, you know, um, over the last 12, 12 years. Um, and it's going to take, you know, a long time for us to get out of this mess. And my fear is that, you know, Labour walking into a trap, if they, if they win the next general election, you know, the, the, the fiscal situation and the economy in general is not going to be in a good state. Uh, and I can't really see Labour doing very much better, to be honest. Let's go back to what we're meant to do and focus on Wales for a second, uh, Kevin, or well, more than a second, and probably the rest of the interview, to be perfectly honest. Although much has been discussed about the content of the cooperation agreement, not much has been said, I don't think, in the public sphere about how it operates and the designated members' role within that. Would you be able to explain that a bit for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we have a cooperation agreement, and, and that contains 46 policy areas. So what Welsh Government and Adam Price agreed on was that we would set up a structure which would allow Clyde Cymru and Welsh Government to work together to deliver on those 46 policy areas. Now, the structure involves two of Plaid Cymru's group members, namely me and Sean Gwenllian, will and have been working closely with Welsh ministers for the last 10 months or so on a number of policy areas. We, we prioritise, but we're actually, you know, making progress on, on each and every one of them. So that's how it works, is two, two of us work closely with Welsh ministers on implementing the 46 policy areas. Some people have said that the designated members are essentially de facto deputy ministers. How would you think your roles are distinguished from ministers and deputy ministers? Well, the first thing to emphasise is it's not a coalition. So because it's not a coalition, we haven't got ministerial or deputy ministerial responsibilities. So it's an agreement just on the 46 policy areas, which means that you know, Plaid Cymru, in effect, is an opposition party for all the policy areas that we disagree on. And there are, you know, quite a number of them around health in particular and rent freezes and, and so on and so forth. So we, we are a, a vocal, strong opposition for, for all the other stuff. But on the 46 policy areas, we, we are working closely. And, and I think, uh, Matthew, it's a... It's, it's a great example of mature 
inclusive and grown-up politics. And, you know, it's something we see across the whole of Europe. It's quite normal for political parties to work together. And, you know, opinion polls in, in, in Wales show that people quite like parties working together rather than being in constant confrontation, which is what you get in Westminster. It's the kind of yabu politics of, you know, the Conservatives versus Labour and so on and so forth. And, and it doesn't make for good optics in terms of people working together for the common good. Why, why then do you think it was that Plaid Cymru decided to go down the route of cooperation rather than coalition? I, I don't think a coalition was ever on offer. If you look at the mathematics, um, Welsh government needed some stability, but it, it wasn't something that was crucial to them. Um, so coalition really wasn't on the cards. But having that stability of Plaid Cymru's support for the next three years, especially around budgets and so on, and you know, also to ease the path of some of the policy areas Labour were keen to, introducing the cooperation agreement and, and plights as well. Um, and, and it makes it easier for, for those policies to move through the Senate process. When this deal was signed, and there were some changes, of course, to how this how Plaid Cymru members would operate in the Senate. There were some limitations on questions that could be asked by Adam Price. The number of questions that opposition spokespeople could ask were, were limited. But there was one thing that was mooted at the time that we haven't really seen anything of, which was the prospect of designated members having to answer questions from members themselves. Can you go through the process of that and, and what discussions you've had about whether that may actually happen or whether you think that's that's not really going to happen now? Yeah, well, if I can just go back to the first point you made about, yes, things did change because shadow portfolio holders could ask three questions to ministers, now that's been reduced to two. And also, I used to, and, and Shan Gwenthian as well, used to sit on committees, so we've had to relinquish our roles on those committees, which means that, you know, colleagues in the Plaid Senate group have had to take on more responsibility in, in sitting in, in our place on, on those committees. But I, I think there is a reference somewhere, if my memory serves me well, that the designated members could potentially provide evidence, at least answer questions in some of the committees, should the committees wish us to do that. I don't think there's ever been an agreement that we do that on the floor of the chamber, but maybe on committee level, I think that that is where the discussions uh, have been happening. And I'm not quite sure whether that's been resolved in, in, in any way. So obviously you were newly elected in May of last year had a few months acting as party spokesperson on rural affairs, sitting in committees. How much of a change has it been for you moving from that, what seems to be, for avid Senate watch, is quite an active role, now to not maybe speaking as much or not being as public-facing, perhaps, as, as some other MSs would be? So, so there, there are two, two answers to that um, good question. So first of all, the learning curve for me when I was first elected was pretty huge. I'd been a cabinet member on Commandership County Council, so I was quite familiar with, you know, the way the decisions were made, and, you know, the, the collective responsibility and policy areas across the board uh, on local authority level. So I was quite comfortable in, in that zone. But then elected to the Senate was, was a, a learning curve. 
But then having been invited to become a designated member over, over Christmas, I must say the, the, the workload has um, doubled, if not trebled, to be perfectly honest, because I share roughly 50-50 with Shan Wenxi and 46 policy areas. So, so you know, they, they include sectors as wide-ranging as, as education, health, social care, agriculture, climate change, housing, Senate reform, and so on and so forth. So, so rather than being kind of a beginning to develop an expertise on rural affairs, I've now had to overnight become an expert or supposed expert on a whole range of, of, of sectors. Now, that's meant a lot of reading, reports, background information on, on policies. I mean, it, it's been fantastic in terms of my knowledge, improving my knowledge bank, but it's, it's meant a, a lot of work as well. So that deals with, you know, the, the first, first aspect of the question. But then the second one, so I, I don't get to ask questions or take part in debates that have some link to the cooperation agreement. That, that was quite clearly uh, an agreement between the two, two parties. But what I can do is I can take part in debates that are outside of the agreement. And I, and I try to do that. And I try to you know, focus my questions to ministers on matters not relating to the cooperation agreement. But yeah, my hands are tied a little bit. So maybe, you know, I don't have as much exposure on the floor of the chamber as I used to, but I, I, I like to think that I, I'm having some influence in, in other ways. Absolutely, Kevin. Um, focusing again on the on the cooperation agreement, do you, would you consider it a living document? Or, of course, there was a, an agreement signed based on certain, provi- certain provisions, things that would be delivered. But do you think it can evolve from what it was initially agreed? Who knows? Um, you know, it's a three-year agreement and, you know, people like Adam Price and Mark Jakeford will have to sit down at the end of the three-year period and, and decide where, where we go next. I mean, you know, there are all kinds of options possible. Um, as we stand, the, the decision is that, that the, you know, the agreement comes to an end and we have a, a year before the next Senate elections. And I guess we will be reverting to type. We'll be, you know, back in our attacking the Welsh government full on um, because we have an election to, to win and we will be trying our best to get as many Plaid Cymru members in hopefully the, the reformed Senedd come 2026. But, you know, who knows? We, we might make a, a different decision and say, well, let's carry on until that election. But I, I think it's a model of, of, of working together whether that's a cooperation agreement or whether it's a coalition, whatever the future holds, I think having parties working together makes for better government. I mean, we've all seen the Welsh government recently complain about the sort of financial pressures they're under. Do you have any concern that certain provisions of the cooperation agreement may fall by the by the wayside, given the budget constraints of the Welsh government? Well, well, clearly, there'll be massive pressures on expenditure moving forward. Uh, I mean, today's announcement by Jeremy Hunt is just going to make things worse. I mean, you know, clearly we're back into the bad old days of austerity. So, so there will be pressures, but, but one good thing, in, in a way, is that the, the expenditure around the policy areas have already been earmarked. So, so they're in place already. 
Uh, and, and, and I can't see a situation at the moment anyway where that is going to change uh, at all because there is a commitment to deliver on these and, and obviously, you know, some of them are, are going to be costly tickets and, and they've already been costed anyway. So, so that shouldn't make a, a huge difference to, um, to the expenditure moving forward. We've seen recently a number of areas of disagreement between Labour and Plaid, as I'm sure you would expect, but particularly on issues such as uh, rent controls and the eviction moratorium. Obviously, housing does fall within the purview of the cooperation agreement. How does it work when there are issues that you, you know, you see necessary changes in society that you, you really want to push for that are you know, you've already sort of agreed in the cooperation agreement, but don't go quite as far as you want. How does that work in that sort of dual partner opposition role? It makes for interesting dialogue between me and ministers and, and Shang Guantian and, and ministers, because there are areas uh, within the cooperation agreement that, that can be open to some kind of different interpretation. And, you know, I, I think having a robust challenge and, and scrutiny and, and, and line of questioning is good for, for all governments. And in terms of the housing issue, yes, we fundamentally disagree with Welsh government on you know, rent freezes and, and no evictions, uh, uh, no evictions policy, uh, because clearly we think that that is the right thing to do in, you know, as we embark on a, on a cost of living crisis. But clearly, you know, um, Labour have a, have a different view on that. But what is in the cooperation agreement is a commitment to a, a white paper on property and fair rents. Now, under, under that white paper, we will be looking at three main principles, which is the right to adequate housing, rent controls, which, which ties into a rent freeze, and making homes more affordable. To people now, we've done a lot already on on housing, particularly tackling the second homes crisis uh, we have in 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 parts of Wales. And um, as you know, um, we, we are now giving local authorities the right to raise up to three hundred percent premium on second homes. We are now classifying properties um, in three ways, which is your, either your main residence, it's either a second home, it's a, or it's a holiday let or Airbnb. So it will allow local authorities in future then to license second homes and, and, and holiday lets and, and decide whether that license is you know, applicable or, or necessary depending on, on the percentage of second homes in a given community already. So it gives them more control. So yeah, we've done a lot on housing and, and you know, we're looking forward to doing more. Are, are there ever moments where Plaid Cymru pushing so hard in, in areas they feel they're just supposed to do so causes any friction in the operation of the of the cooperation agreement? Maybe friction is is too too strong a word. As I mentioned earlier on, we, we, we're always challenging each other, really. I challenge, Sean Gwenllian challenge, ministers challenge us as well if we have, you know, a different position on, on some of uh, these policy areas. So, so I genuinely think that that's good because it does make your policy more robust because it's been triangulated and uh, stress tested in different ways. And obviously officials and SPADs play their role in that as well. I suppose you know the, the the most challenging one to date is is the one around the water resources regulations 
uh, and the statement that came out uh, last week. Now, I fully understand how difficult this has been for Welsh Government because they, they've been quite adamant that they weren't going to change their position on that. But I think what we've done in, in a sensible, mature and constructive way is to show using you know, the potential of technology moving forward, how we can be even more precise in what we can envisage being the soil and crop needs of farms across, of, across Wales. So, so what we've managed to do is to persuade Welsh Government to allow, hopefully, if this is what the public consultation will result in, is a licensing scheme which will allow farmers to spread up to 250 kilograms per hectare of nitrogen, which is in, in slurry or uh, organic manure, in order to buy us time for that two years to allow technology to develop so that we have then precision agriculture taking the place of the regulations around you know, nitrogen loading, which would be far more accurate and far more proportionate. I mean, the MVZ's issue, obviously, if everyone listening is an avid Senate watcher, but for those who don't know, there was a big, one of the most interesting political actions of this entire term really was around the Welsh tax acts, nothing, tax bill, nothing necessarily to do with MVZ's, but obviously behind the scenes, lots of negotiations going on with the Welsh government about the MVZ, MVZ regulations. What was your assessment of that process and how that political negotiation unfolded? It, it was it was challenging for for both Plaid Cymru and Welsh government because we started from different positions on on that particular issue. But but we were in agreement that we need would need to deploy some kind of action in a more targeted way. So so we put for, forward a number of, of propositions, some from government, some from ourselves, and we we challenged those, and we you know we we decided that some weren't appropriate or suitable. So in the end, we came up with this idea of the licensing scheme. So I think that that's where we are. It's gone through a long, arduous, challenging, you know, difficult process for, for both sides. But I'm, I'm hoping we, we've come to some kind of compromise that, that is going to be equally uh, as, you know, acceptable to the agricultural community as, as it is to, to, the, to the environment. And, and clearly, you know, Plaid Cymru is as determined as, as any, anyone else to make sure that we, you know, moving forward, do have you know the environment uh, and the, the the biodiversity element at the forefront uh, of our minds, knowing how incredibly important that is. Going back a bit to the, to the politics of this all, one of the greatest achievements of the cooperation agreement has been free school meals, universal free school meals for primary school pupils. But Plaid in the last Senate pushed Welsh Labour on this numerous times. Welsh Labour actually voted against this policy. Was it four times in the last Senate or something like that? And it's only with the cooperation uh, agreement that they eventually backed this policy. However, as soon as this policy was passed in the Senate, you saw Welsh La the Welsh Labour campaign machine kick in and take full credit for the move. Are you ever concerned that Plycombe might lose this comms war, this air war with Welsh Labour, and they end up taking credit for your policies, but doing so on the back of Plycombe votes? My straight answer to that is that, you know, people who have followed politics know that Welsh Labour voted against 
this policy four times, twice since I was elected. And I, and I, you know, I fully understand that their defense was that there was no money available. But in the negotiations around the agreement, you know, a compromise was reached that we would find the money from somewhere. And, and that money has been found. Now, clearly, you know, it's up to the Plaid Cymru commerce machine as well, you know, to get the message out there that, you know, this was a Plaid Cymru idea. We put in a, in our manifesto, we put it in front of the Senate and Labour voted against it. So, you know, it, it is our policy. Um, and I'm so glad that it's been implemented. Uh, and so far, we, we've got it up and running for, you know, the younger age groups in, in primary school. And so far, well, by the end of the first year rollout, there'll be 66,000 extra pupils in Wales receiving free school meals. And for us, the universality, you know, that is every child gets a free school meal is so important because we believe that no child should go hungry on any given day. So, you know, it's it was fundamental for Pride Company to, to get this policy uh, through. And I, I know people, you know, I get emails from people saying, well, listen, you know, we, we earn enough money. Why why should I, you know, have free school meals for my, my children? Well, it's about ridding Wales of that stigma, you know, between the haves and the have-nots and, and, you know, those on free school meals and those not. You know, I know of, of people who are in school with me still suffering with that stigma of having had free school meals, which labelled them as being from a, a poor household at, at the very early age. And, you know, clearly we need to get rid of that. And uh, I hope this policy is uh, is here to stay. It's that old universal truth spoke by Roger Morgan that uh, services reserved for the poor quickly become poor services is something that's echoing through my mind right now. Obviously, the, the free school meals is one of the big achievements of the cooperation agreement. But what else would you like to talk about from that cooperation agreement that, that you are most happy to have been delivered? Yeah, well, I, I mentioned the the tackling the second homes issue and the holiday lets issue as well. So, so that that is to be welcomed in in many parts of Wales, where you know the balance between tourism uh, and local communities hasn't been the right balance. So, so we, we hope to address that uh, moving moving forward to, to have a more sustainable tourism for, for Wales. Um, childcare is another important one uh, in, the, in the cost of living crisis. The figure I have here is 100 million pounds has been committed to create 3,000 extra childcare spaces in Wales. That's on top of the 2,500 spaces in the, in the first phase. Now, this will allow parents, mums mainly, to either return to work or to go on to do training, which will improve their skills. skills. So, so it makes them more employable. This is so important in the current economic climate. So, so that's something we, we are really proud of. And that was applied Cymru uh, manifesto uh, pledge, which is now coming into being. At the tourism levy has the potential of raising millions of pounds, which can be ploughed back in to make the, the tourism experience even better for people uh, coming to Wales uh, on holidays or, or those visiting Wales as visitors, that is business people maybe, coming to Wales to, to, to stay. 
So, so that, 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 that's been a key one for us as well. The agriculture bill, um, we managed to persuade Welsh Government to include food production uh, as an aim and uh, a measurable outcome. Um, now, that wasn't in the first draft uh, I saw. So, so that's good for, for farmers. And hopefully we, we will have, as the, the, that bill progresses through the Senate, have amendments coming forward around um, assessing the economic impact of agriculture on our rural communities and also their contribution to language and culture. So um, that, that's another uh, important uh, milestone. And, and we, we're also discussing at the moment the Welsh Media Education Bill, which hopefully will go through this, this Senedd before long, uh, teaching Welsh history in schools uh, and, and so on and so forth. And another you know, big items for, for Pride Cymru. Are you at all concerned about the response of the tourism industry to the, the visitor levy and the, the, what, what they perceive to be too large an increase on the occupancy rate of self-catering properties? I'm an avid supporter of the, the tourism levy or the visitor levy. It's out for consultation at the moment. And um, clearly what, we, what we're asking people to, to do is to, to look at the ways we could raise this, this levy. It could be a per person, per night levy. It could be a per accommodation levy. It could be a percentage of the whole stay, um, whether you've stayed a weekend or you've stayed for two weeks somewhere it will be a percentage of, of that uh, overall uh, charge. So we're, we're looking at, you know, different permutations at the moment. But, you know, it, it's, it's normal in Europe. 40 countries across the world uh, have some kind of visitor levy. Um, and it ranges in, in Europe from what equates the euro to sterling between 50 pence a night to five pounds a night. Now, even if we were going to go for something in the middle of that, that could raise over 60, 65 million pounds, which is, you know, a huge amount of money we could, you know, reinvest in making tourism better for Wales. Because at the moment, the key issue is that the, the cost of, you know, upkeeping roads and footpaths and parks and beaches falls on local communities uh, and, and local taxpayers. So I think we, the burden should be spread across uh, those, you know, coming into Wales as well. Uh, one of the big topics that was discussed in the cooperation agreement was social care. Would you mind talking a little bit about where we are with proposals to reform our social care system? Yeah, that, that, that again is, is, a, is a, a, a big policy area, uh, hugely complex as well. So what we did, we set up a, an expert panel. And that expert panel has met, uh, I think they started back in March of this year, and they um, have now finally completed their report. And that report will be uh, made public within the next couple of weeks. And, and there will be an opportunity for the, for the sector to, to look at the recommendations and provide feedback to us on, on what their uh, opinion opinions are, um, but, but that, that's an important piece of work, you know, which looks at some basic principles uh, around providing care free at the point of need, and also looking at ways of integrating social care and health, uh, which is something, you know, governments have grappled with, including UK government for a long, long time. 
recently announced also the Arvor 2 program with economy minister Vaughan Geffen. For those who don't know what that is, would you mind explaining it a bit? Yeah, quite quite um, simply, it's £11 million over three years, which is to be invested in the four local authority areas from Anismon to Gwynedd, Ceredigion and Carmarthenshire, which traditionally have been the uh, the identified well-speaking parts or, or the mainly well-speaking parts of Wales, although we fully understand there are other parts of, of Wales that are well-speaking as well outside of those local authority areas. But it's to do with giving the, 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 the economy uh, a boost by supporting young entrepreneurs, supporting current businesses to expand and using the Welsh language as a national medium of you know, providing services through through businesses and and through uh, public public bodies so so it's making the language relevant to young people and giving them opportunities if they have great ideas to invest in in in, in those businesses that the ideas they have and, and you know um help them stay in in the area because you know one of the sad things of someone like me living in rural areas is that we're seeing so many young people leaving uh, these areas uh, to to look for work, and it'd be great just to keep more of them here in in West Wales and and attract those who have left back here as well with their experience and knowledge and and skills. One of the major victories of the cooperation agreement is the agreement between Plaid and Labour on Senedd reform. Is what we've got what Plaid uh, actually wanted? Well, what we've got goes a long way to what Plaid wanted. We, we wanted a bigger Senate because at the moment, 60 members aren't fulfilling the function of being a strong scrutiny and challenge well enough. So when you take out ministers and deputy ministers and designated members, there are only a limited number of people left to sit on, commu- on, on committees. Now, we, you know, over the last 20 years, the Senate, or the Assembly as it was, has had far more powers, but the number of members hasn't, hasn't increased. So in order for that scrutiny to be as effective as possible, we need more, more people in there. So, so we, we've got a, an agreement that are 96 members. I suppose, you know, where Welsh Government and Plaid have had to, in a way, compromise is, is around the voting system, where you know, Plaid wanted STV, the single transferable vote system, whereas we've now got a compromise around the the, the haunt system. Now, the Anorax um, listening will will want to, you know, look up the haunt as a system. It's too complicated for me to explain uh, in a few minutes, but... Um, it's, have a very Anoraki audience, uh, Kevin. I wouldn't worry. They, they, they'll know. <laughs> well, they, they can Google it. It's based on, I think it was a, he was a Belgian parliamentarian, if I remember. Um, so he devised this system. So, yeah, the Anoraks can have a look at that uh, uh, later on. One of the major criticisms of, of, of all politics, really, is that people feel remote and far away from decisions being made. You obviously represent a huge geographical area that isn't actually that close to Cardiff in many ways. Do you think this Senate reform will actually bring people closer to their representatives and to the decisions that are being made that affect them? Well, I I think the discussions at the moment are 
basing the new boundaries on the proposed uh, UK Westminster boundaries that are, are going to change. And I think we're waiting any day uh, now for news on, on the new boundaries. So if we base the next Senate elections on the new Westminster boundaries, it, it will make the representatives, the Senate members, um, far closer in geographical terms to, to, to their, their electorate. I mean, I, I must be perfectly honest, it, it doesn't make sense that, that I represent an area that is about the three quarters of the land mass of Wales. A, getting around from one part of that region to another can take me up to about three, three and a quarter hours. You know, it, I'm not going to get anywhere soon, really, if I have to travel from where I live to Southside Llandailo in Carmarthenshire to the Llyn Peninsula. But, but uh, you know, this is where we are. It doesn't make sense. So may, hopefully we, we can have smaller boundaries, more members, making them more accountable and, you know, making them easier for the electorate to access. I was going to say nightmare for the, the you know, the, the diary keepers of politicians in mid and west Wales trying to not organise a meeting in Pembroke Dock at one and Llangirig at two. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for, for coming on. We've got one more question before you go. And as it is the week of Plaid Conference, we should ask, what do you think the future holds for Plaid Cymru? Do you think you are heading towards government in the next election? Well, what we will do is, is try our damnness to get as many Plaid Cymru members in there after 2026. Because, you know, what, what, what we've seen over the last month, what we've seen, the turmoil of the Boris Johnson government, the austerity for 10 years before that, that Westminster just isn't working for Wales. And I just want more people to, to see that, that we can do things better by having those powers uh, ourselves. I mean, we saw during COVID, you know, how um, people related to decisions made by Welsh government because they knew that they had the Welsh people at heart. They were giving priority to the people of Wales. And clearly, Westminster's not doing that. We are not important to them. So, so we, we, we've got to have more of those powers, you know, devolved to, to, to Cardiff and devolved to local authorities even more so that people feel that they, they can influence uh, the way forward for Wales. And, um, you know, I, I think more and more people are coming round to the idea now that um, independence for Wales has to be a, a better future for us. Kevin Campbell, If you've enjoyed what you've heard this evening, please don't forget to find us on Twitter and Facebook at Here I Pod or go to our website www.walespolitics.com. Thank you for listening to Here I. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.